What's your end goal in life? What are you shooting for? I mean, for me, one of my goals is I want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Maybe your end goal is you want to be rich. One of my friend's end goal is that he wants his children to love and respect him. Maybe you want to have fun. Maybe you want to make a difference. What's your end goal? And here's a corollary. Who do you admire? Because we often become like the people we admire. Maybe you admire an athlete, an NBA player, NFL, MLB, MLS. Maybe there's somebody that you just love to watch play the game. Or maybe there's a dancer or a successful educator that you're like, I want to teach like them. Or maybe you see a great dad or a great mom and you want to be like them. Usually we look at people that we admire and we think, I can't be like them. I don't have the height, I don't have the talent, I don't have the stamina, whatever. We just think, I can't be like that. But what if you could be like them? What if all you had to do was try? Would you do it? Or would you just wistfully think of what could have been? It's interesting that so many studies have been done between and what's the difference between your average athlete and an elite athlete or between an elite athlete and an Olympian. And lots of factors do come into play, but one factor comes up over and over again and that is work. Elite athletes will work harder than normal athletes were. Now, here's the thing. Jesus wants us to be like him. And that's the thing with Jesus. When he first calls his disciples and throughout all the ages, his call is basically, come be like me. And we can. We can be like Jesus. There's a couple of hurdles that we have to get over. I mean, when we think of being like him, it doesn't mean speaking King James English with all the these and the thous. I mean, after all, King James lived about 1,500 years after Jesus, so even Jesus didn't sound like King James did. It doesn't mean never having a good time. I mean, one of the biggest critiques of Jesus was he was kind of a party person. It means living for a bigger purpose. It means experiencing peace and joy and hope. It means living a life of significance. It means having a deep and soul-satisfying relationship with God. It means having a deep and soul-satisfying relationship with other people. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Do you want that? And if you do, are you willing to put in the effort? So with those thoughts in mind, let's dive into the text. We're going to be reading from Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So that's a pretty familiar passage. Maybe a couple of those phrases stick out to you. It gets quoted a lot. But like so many things in the Bible, if you understand it in its context, it has even more meaning. Jesus says this whole thing about deny yourself, take up your cross, saving and losing your life in response to something. So let's figure out what he's responding to. And in order to know that, we have to 
back up a couple of verses. So we're going to back up to verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So what's going on here? Jesus is the Messiah. He's God's plan to rescue people and all of creation from sin and evil and death. And Peter believes that. Peter believes that Jesus is the Messiah. But the stuff that Jesus is talking about, having to suffer, having to die, that is not P Peter's picture of what the Messiah should look like. And it could be that right then he begins to have this moment of buyer's regret. But I think what happens is really just visceral. He hears this person that he loves, who he believes is the Messiah of God, say, I have to suffer and die. And I feel like Peter just goes, no way, Jesus. And Jesus' reaction is swift and sounds really harsh, unless you understand what's at stake. All Peter could see was his preferred future. What if Peter had won the argument? What if Peter had said to Jesus, you know, Jesus, no way, is this going to happen to you? You shouldn't do that. And what if Jesus goes, you know, you're right, Peter. I don't think I really want to do all that. It could be uncomfortable. Actually, I've already got other plans for Good Friday night. I'm sure someone else could do that. What if Peter got his way? If Peter got his way, we never would have been saved. The world would not be set right. And that's why Jesus identifies this with Satan, because he's trying to thwart God's plans. Peter, this isn't about your personal dreams or your preferred future, because Peter's preferred future ran counter to what God was doing. And then Jesus has this powerful line, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Wow. I mean, would you want to be called a stumbling block by Jesus? Jesus says to Peter, you aren't seeing the big picture. All you can see is how it affects you. What you might want might not be what God wants. And now we've gotten to the context for our passage. What I want might not be what God wants. And at that point, when I realize that, I have to give up what I want, deny myself, and do what God says to do. Then Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple. We live in a world of pseudo-relationships. On social media, we'll friend people or we'll follow people. And sometimes you do it just to be polite. And every once in a while, stuff pops up on my feet, I'm like, I don't even know who you are. I have a vague memory. There's not any sense that you are a friend of mine or that I'm really following you. It's not unusual for us to have hundreds or even thousands or even hundreds of thousands of friends or followers. But you just can't have that many relationships. Those people are not relationships or friends. On an in-person level, we tend to confuse friendly people with friends. 
And those are two very different things. Most of us have very few deep relationships, very few real relationships. And that can lead to a fundamental misunderstanding of what Jesus is looking for or what following Jesus looks like. I love this quote by Soren Kierkegaard, who was a rather dismal Dane from the 19th century. Kierkegaard says of Jesus, he never asks for admirers, worshipers, or adherents. No, he calls disciples. It's not adherents of a teaching, but followers of a life Christ is looking for. Admirer, worshiper, adherent, or followers of a lifestyle, walking the Jesus way. For instance, I think Gandhi had some great things to say. I can appreciate his insights. I admire him a lot for the things that he did, what he stood for, his actions. And a lot of people approach Jesus that way. Yeah, you look at Jesus, there's a lot of good stuff there. But that isn't the same as being a disciple. Admiring someone is different. Adhering to a way of teaching is different from being a disciple or a follower. I'm not a disciple of Gandhi. I just appreciate some of the things the dude did and said. And then Kierkegaard also says that Jesus doesn't call worshipers. And that gave me a little bit of a pause for thought. And then I thought about my myself. I thought about growing up, getting saved every single Sunday night. Or maybe showing up on a Sunday morning and singing and raising your hands, but not really letting Jesus change your life on a Monday through Friday basis. And I think that's what he's getting at. So to answer the question in the title of the sermon, it's really not enough to just friend Jesus or to reply with hearts on Insta or when someone asks for an amen on social media to give that to them. There is this aspect of doing when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus. So he goes on to say, deny, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. What does deny themselves look like? Well, this is where context is so important. Peter was getting this thing wrong. In our normal perspective, this one thing, this might what be, this might be what we want. Or this might even selfishly be what we want, but it might not be the best thing, and it might not be what God wants. For instance, I didn't want my kids to leave home, and over the last couple of years, because of COVID and a break in Ali's schooling, they came and they lived home for a while, and I loved it. I did not want my kids to leave. I'd be perfectly happy if my kids moved back home and stayed forever, but at this point, that is absolutely the wrong thing for them to do. The thing that they need to do is get out there and live their lives and do what God has equipped and called them to do. I mean, I know people whose lives have been ruined because they didn't take steps to adequately differentiate themselves from their parents or their families. As much as I love to have my kids around, I know the best thing for them is to go someplace else. There are bigger things at play than my preferred future. There are bigger things at play than just what I want. It's not always just about me. And Peter needed to understand God's perspective to see how God was at work, to grasp God's plan and purpose. And he needed to come to a point of saying, and we need to come to a point of saying, you know what, God, 
not my will, but thine be done. I mean, it's the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it really raises the fact that our relationship to God, it's all about trust. Can I really trust that what God has for me is the best? Can I trust that what God has for my kids is the best? Can I believe that I don't have all of the information and I'm not always right? Have I bought into the lie that life should always be easy? So we're trying to become like Jesus. And even Jesus had to pray, not my will, but yours. And I kind of like the honesty of it, that all, because in the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus prays, not my will, but yours, Jesus says, can you take this cup away from me? Can we change this thing? I don't really want to go to the cross, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours. It's very real, it's very honest, and I think it's fair for us to pray those things uh, at the same way. Take up your cross, Jesus says. This is really what I like to think of as a call to a cruciform life. That is being formed by the presence of the cross of Christ in our lives. To view everything from the framework of what Jesus has done on the cross. Jesus, one of the things he does is he sets us free from not only our old selves, but our old way of thinking, our own selfishness, our own self-centeredness, and allows us to live in a cross-focused way where we live out of gratitude for what God has done for us in Jesus, where we recognize the new life that we've found in Jesus, where we'll willingly inconvenience ourselves for the sake of the kingdom of God, where we will make Jesus Lord of our priorities, our families, our lives, our goals, and our resources, where we will care about others and for others, not just ourselves. Now, how crazy does that sound? Well, less crazy than you think. Where do you think hospitals come from, or universities, or orphanages, or community services? They all came from the followers of Jesus, who cared more for what the cross compelled them to do than for anything else. Even today, when natural disasters happen, who do you think consistently provides efficient and effective help? It's the followers of Jesus, who are living a cruciform life, responding to what God has done for us in Christ. You have to take up your cross. What is your cross then? Because Jesus' point is to take up your own cross. Not my cross, not somebody else's cross. Crosses tend to be personal. And this whole taking up your cross thing is not fatalism, like just accepting everything that comes your way, uh, not at all. I mean, if you're sick, take the medication. Do the operation. Do whatever you need to do that's going to help you. But I think we all come to a place where we reach a point where you realize that this is your life and this is your situation. Because that's what you get. You get your life. You don't get my life. You don't get somebody else's life. I don't get your life. You get your life. And we have to come to a point where we recognize that. And the place that I want to begin in thinking about the lives that we have is that we all have so much to be grateful for. We don't always start with gratefulness because there are other irritants in life, but we all start with so much to be grateful for. 
Megan works with a lot of little kids at her job. And one of the little kids that she has, a second grade boy, is abused at home in many different ways, uh, in just not horrific ways, but you know, like movie of the week kind of ways, but the kid isn't wanted. And so he's, he's treated like that, and sometimes there are physical threats that are made towards him. And he belongs to this little group that's called the Kindness Club, which I love. These kids get together and they just talk about being kind to each other. And one day, Megan, the question was, what are you grateful for? And it came to this little boy, and with a smile on his face, he said, I'm grateful to be alive. Just let that sink in. Wherever you are in life, I just challenge you to make a list of your blessings, and it will surprise you how much you have to be grateful for. But there are also challenges. But let's also be clear that life is filled with minor irritations. Those are not your cross to bear. You just got to cope and keep moving forward. I mean, think about what you are most likely to complain about and then rate that on the level of global suffering. Or maybe just simply say it out loud. And if you notice that people roll their eyes when you complain, you know you just need to get on with your life. But crosses come. It might be the consequence of a choice you made. You know, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time, and now you're living with the consequences of that. That might be a cross that you need to bear. Or it might be something that's happened to you. You didn't choose depression or anxiety. You didn't choose to be abandoned by your spouse. You didn't choose to have a terrible disease. You didn't choose to lose everything financially. You didn't choose to be bullied at school, but here you are. So what are you going to do? And I think the answer is bear the cross which is with as much grace and dignity as you can muster. Pray like crazy for things to change. Work for things to change. And then trust God who says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's a quote from an autobiographical moment that the Apostle Paul has in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 8 through 9, where he says, it talks about a thorn that he had in the flesh or a cross that he's bearing. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. It reminds us of the reality that God is at work in our lives, that God might be using you, even in your suffering, in ways that you will never understand, and you may never understand. But you can trust in the goodness of God, whose grace is sufficient for whatever cross you are called to bear. And then Jesus goes on to say, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whoever loses their life for me, for my sake. So it's not just about toughing life out, it's about desiring God. It's about suffering redeemed by the presence of God. And this brings us back to the beginning. It brings us to the first questions we asked. What do you want to be? Who do you admire? What are your goals for life? All Peter could see was what he wanted. 
when we're willing to trust what God wants and what God has for us, even if it causes pain, that's when we truly find life. So there are these choices that come in front of us. How are we going to respond? What are we going to do? How do we know what God wants from us? How do we know what God's will is? But honestly, it's not that hard. Most of the time, we know what God wants. The issue is, that's not what we want. So we look for a loophole, or we just decide not to do it. I know that this person that I want to date, get serious with, is not going to lead me closer to Jesus. I know it's the wrong thing to do, but I really want to date them. And he's here, so he's probably the one God led into my life. God offered a job. This position will make a boatload of money but it's going to require me to pretty much neglect my family. I'm pretty sure it's not what God wants me to do. I'm pretty sure God wants me to keep my promises. But wow, think how excited my kids will be when I can give them really expensive stuff. There's an opportunity to serve some people in the community. And I could, it's probably what God wants, but... And you know how it goes. And that's why Jesus asks... What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? So what if you get everything you think you want, but it costs you the most important things? Megan and I love to watch football in the fall. Sunday afternoons, most of the time, we're home from church and before we have to go someplace, and we're sitting on the couch and we are watching football. We love it. But I tell you, to this day, I cannot look at Jimmy Johnson and not just kind of shudder at the choices that the man has made. When he was hired to be the coach of the Dallas Cowboys, one of the first things that he did was divorce his wife because he didn't have time for anything in his life but football. Think of the ramifications of that. But look at Jimmy Johnson. I mean, think of the money that the man has made. Think of the fame that he had walking the sidelines of the Dallas Cowboys or now being a commentator on TV. Think of the people that he hangs out with. I mean, how cool would that be? But at what cost? I mean, I've read articles where he talks about having a great relationship with his sons, but I'm a son and I got a mom. And I know how I would feel if my dad divorced my mom because he wanted the job more. I know how I would feel if I thought about how strained family holidays were because my dad chose football over me. What does it gain somebody if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? All of this is a call for us to find our lives in Christ, to find our satisfaction following Jesus as his disciples. Not as just his admirers, not as adherents to a certain form of teaching, but as followers of a way of life. And then the passage ends with a promise. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. And that might be what pulls us through someday. Remind, remembering that God is in the process of making things right. And one day he will, and it will be done. And the other side of the crosses that we bear is always new life. 
I mean, that's the whole point of Easter. So let's end where we, where we began. What are your goals? Who do you admire? What do you want to be like? I hope it's to be like Jesus, to be filled with peace and grace and love, to be deeply connected to God and to the important people in your lives, to know what's important in life and to let the rest go. Because really, folks, that doesn't sound terrible. So let me ask you three questions. How would you classify yourself? Admirer, adherent, worshiper, or follower, disciple? Number two, what's the cross that you're currently bearing? And number three, in what area are you looking for a loophole instead of doing what you know God wants? Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you, want to grow with you in faith, and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcove.church.